Well, good morning. Have we got any revolution in here? One, two. Right, okay, because you're here, we're going to do a bit of school. Yay! <laughs> okay, I want you to tell the person next to you the seven characteristics of life. Okay, GCSE biology, off you go. <laughs> seven characteristics of life. Okay, that's it, that's all the time you're getting. So all of this is based on whether you would today pass GCSE biology. Okay, so how many people can think they got seven? Oh, Mike, you're so good. Great. So we've got a few students and Mike. <laughs> okay, here they are. Movement, respiration, sensitivity, growth, reproduction, excretion, and nutrition. Okay, how did you do? Anyone get six? Well done. Excellent. Not that far from GCSEs now. Anyone get five? Well done, Mary. Four? Well done, Phil. <laughs> Three? <laughs> oh, dear, I'm not going any further. Anyone get the seven? Really? Well done, Mike. Oh, and Zoe at the back. Well done. Very clever. Okay. That's just to get us going. Now, um, As a church in the New Testament, we are described, aren't we, as a living organism. We are the body of Christ. Um, And obviously we know from this passage that as a body, we we all have different functions. Some are ear, some are a leg, blah, blah, blah. But we all work together as a body growing up towards Christ. So what does growth mean? look like? What does it look like? What are the characteristics of a church that is growing, that is alive, that is healthy, that is clearly not dead? Now, a church service, it might have a lot of people attend, okay? You might have thousands of people attend that church service, um, or a particular speaker might have attended, but what are the characteristics we would look for in that community as a whole, to indicate that they are actually alive and growing, okay? So it's not about numbers always, is it? What is it that means they're alive? As a church, we want to be growing in three ways. Up, in, out. It's a simple way of remembering it. Up towards God, out towards the world, and in towards each other, caring and loving and all that jazz. So we want those three things. And we see this as fundamental to the churches that we see in the New Testament. We can find these things. And in the book of Acts and the letters, we get a little glimpse into churches very shortly after Jesus' resurrection. The Holy Spirit has come. And we see these vibrant churches that are absolutely exploding numerically. We hear about hundreds of people coming to know Jesus in one day. But if we look at these churches, it's not just about numbers. If we look a bit closer, we'll see that they're displaying those characteristics of up, in, and out. And last week, we started looking at um, the church in Antioch. And one of the things John said, and he used it in the house group notes as well, was um, this about, can this happen today? Do we honestly believe that this is still possible 
Or is this, when we read the Bible, is it just a bit, well, that was thousands of years ago. That doesn't really happen today. We're at a different place now. You know, that was just for then. Now it looks a lot different. But we know this first, don't we? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That means he's unchanging. The way that he is, his heart, his passion, his mission remains the same. So we can be expecting that our churches that are connected to him, that are tapped into the vine, as it were, that are working with him, are growing, are alive, that we're seeing those things that happen in the New Testament happen here now in our church in Southampton, in the UK. It's not just something that happens in distant countries that have never heard the gospel before. It's not something that happens in distant times, but that doesn't happen quite now. And it's not something that, well, that might happen in the future when it's getting very close to Jesus coming back. It's about now, isn't it? So Antioch, if you were here last week... Um, John started looking at this church. We want to look for the characteristics that they are growing and alive. And he looked for the evidence of those that that was happening. Number one, they were willing to speak out for Jesus. Okay, now sometimes we can get confused. One of the interesting things about this is this wasn't an evangelist appeared and thousands of people came to know Jesus. This wasn't the church leaders came up with a strategy and everyone got going behind it and certain key people were doing it. No, the interesting thing about this is it's just ordinary people sharing their lives with other people. So when they're at work, when they're out socializing, when they're walking the dog, whatever they're doing, they're sharing Jesus. We also saw, secondly, that God was in it. That was key, wasn't it? It wasn't clever words or persuasive arguments. Sometimes we can get really wrapped up in, but I just don't know how to share the gospel. And I feel so like I just, I haven't been trained properly. And the words I say, they're just not good enough. And that person over there, they're so much better than me. But it's about God's spirit moving in that person's life. It wasn't about, as Paul says, persuasive arguments or clever words. It was about the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And thirdly, we saw that believers were encouraged by Barnabas to cleave to Jesus. The word that's used is is like a marriage. You're going to stick to him like glue. Because in a kind of church like this, where many people are coming to Christ, it can be very easy to slip into we are a good church. We are doing well. Oh, yes. It can become about us, can't it? So they need to keep remaining true to the Lord, knowing that it's God that's at work. So let's crack on with today. John's read the passage, so we don't need to do that. But there are three other things that we're going to see today. We're going to see that they are, oh, I forgot to change that word, I'm sorry. Pretend that word says diverse. (laughs) They're diverse, they listen and obey, and they are generous. Those are the three things. They are diverse, they listen and obey, and they're generous. So, first off, diversity. What is the dumbest thing you've ever heard that has split a church? Have a little think. 
Wendy's quickly whispering. I don't know if that's to do with this or whether she just forgot to put the turkey on or something. (laughs) What's the strangest thing? Well, someone in our church last week, they said, do you know what's interesting, Louise, is we don't seem to argue about theological issues. We seem to get so wrapped up in the petty issues, seem to divide us. Um, And I've come across this online. And it was um, in the Grace Awakening book by Chuck Twindle. And he talks about a church that had this amazing ministry. They were doing really well, reaching out to the community. Lots of people come into faith. And what happened? Basically, an issue arose, a disagreement that became so extreme that half the church went off and started their own church. Do you know what that disagreement was over? You're going to really relate to this coffee. Half the church wanted coffee by the door, the other half wanted coffee in the fellowship room. That, you see, I see people nodding because we know, even here, dare I say it, we've had a similar problem, but we haven't split over it, so well done everyone. (laughs) Okay, now this vibrant church is full of growth. Um, it's got extreme diversity. They are very different from each other, and yet they are united. The first place we see the diversity is in their congregation. The founding members of this congregation are Jewish asylum seekers. And not just from Jerusalem, they're not just uh, from Israel, they're from all over the world. So there's African ones in there, there's ones from Cyprus in there. Can you imagine the cultural blends going on in this church? And then added to that are the locals... Some Jews, some not Jews. So they're coming from different angles. We've got new believers coming and they don't know anything at all about the Old Testament or traditions or how you should do stuff, whether you should stand or sit or sing. The diversity in this congregation is immense. And secondly, we see that um, not only that, but, oh, I've totally lost my place. There is also a diversity in the leadership. Okay, so in the leadership, we read there's Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. Okay, now, they're just names, aren't they? Just names, mean nothing to us. Okay, that was ages up, la 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 la. But let's look at them. Barnabas, who I like to call Barney, he was from Cyprus, okay? Simeon and Lucius, North Africa. Manian grew up in a royal household, and Saul, later called Paul, the Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees, educated in Jerusalem by one of the top rabbis, an academic. So let's look at the diversity of this. These these people with their different backgrounds, where they've come from, royalty, high education, from over here in Africa, from over here, they are seriously diverse. And I think this is key to a church that is alive. Diversity is key. It's a picture of Christ's plan, isn't it? These are are two quotes that Jesus said, isn't it? I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I want to bring them also. Talking about Jews and Gentiles being together. 
And his commission, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. So Jesus was looking for a church that is different in nationality, different in tribes, different in tongues, different. Can you imagine this church, their diversity? But what united them was Jesus. Simple as that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And their church was a radical testimony of what Jesus can do. Because outside of the church, there was severe prejudice, racial discrimination. The Jews were being highly persecuted. No one associated with them. We've got in Jerusalem people being murdered, put to death by the sword. And this church is so diverse. And they're together. Jesus said this, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So what about us? What about us? If our church was this diverse, there's no room for monoculture churches in Jesus' church. What will it mean about how we share our faith or who we share our faith with? It's often easy, isn't it, to choose somebody that's like us because we've already got stuff in common with them. But these people in Antioch, they crossed cultures, they crossed boundaries. And that's what the gospel's about, isn't it? When Jesus is talking about how we should be, when he talks about the Good Samaritan, it's about people crossing boundaries, crossing cultures, being willing to step out. And if we really genuinely love each other as a community, we won't be united because we're at the same age or stage of life or we've got the same class background or we've been educated in the same way. We'll be united around Jesus. We'll be reunited around what Jesus wants us as a community to do. So, secondly, we saw that this church listened and obeyed. So, have a think. Who do you listen to most? Who is influencing you the most? Now, we might be really quick to say, oh, it's Jesus. But actually, is it? What's the last thing you look at at night in bed? I know for me, too often it is not the word of the Lord, but it is Facebook. (laughs) So what is influencing me? What is the last thing that's on my mind at night? What's the thing I'm spending the most time on in the day? What's feeding my decisions? You know, for some of us, we could say my parents have a really big influence on me, or my friends, or my teachers, or my pastor or the government, or celebrities, what could it be? But who is telling you what to think, to eat, to wear, what you should enjoy, what you should be doing? And as a church, who's telling us what to do? Is it other churches? Is it stuff that we read in books, written by people who seem to be getting it right? We need to be checking, don't we, that we're being influenced by Jesus the most. I've got a good example of something. I'm, my, my daughter, Emily, I, before I had children, I was thinking I would be really adamant that my child would go to the local school. 
This was very important to me. They will go to the local school. They will be a Christian in that environment, and I will walk with them through that experience. We are called to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. I'm not going to pull my child out and put them in a little cocoon over here. But I tell you, when I went to look at our local preschool, very odd emotions came up in me. Could I possibly put my child in this school? Was it excellent in Ofsted? Was the care the best it could be? How did I feel about the, the preschool leader? Was she an excellent example of Jesus? If she's not of Christian faith, is that going to be okay? Who's influencing my decisions here? Who says that I should put my child in this school because it's more suitable and I like these children a bit more? Because they're more suitable, I want her to be with those nice children. Am I really trusting Jesus to look after my child? Am I really wanting to bless my child? Am I just wrapping this up? Am I trying to keep up with the Joneses or protect my child? Because I don't, I don't think Jesus is able to do that, actually. I need to put a little wall around her. Because she's so precious, I want to just keep her here. Maybe I'll just take her over here and put her in this nice little village school over here. Now, I'm not saying I've got all the answers. But I'm saying I want to be listening to God I want to question my motives because I don't want to be pushed around by a culture that says, this is what you should think. This is how you should act. This is how you should bring up your child. I want to know that I'm listening to God. If I was an American Christian mum, I would be feeling the pressure now to homeschool my child up to university age. Now, we laugh. Do you know why we laugh? Because we're not in that culture. If we were outside of our culture, what would another congregation snigger about us? Do you see what it's saying? It's easy when you're not in that culture. But we want to be listening to God. We want to be open and desiring him to speak to us. And if we are not in the word of God, if this word is not what is driving us and and shaping us and molding our thinking, if we're not praying and asking him on a regular basis, is this right, God? What do you have to say on this issue? Then we will be listening to somebody, and it may not be God. The church at Antioch, they were ready to listen to God. When some prophets came and told them that there was going to be a famine, they were ready. They were characterized by their desire to hear from God. They didn't mess about responding. They didn't set up a five-year plan about how they were going to do it. They gathered, they prayed, they fasted, they worshipped. Jesus was included vibrantly in their life as a church. And they didn't just draw together because they had a specific issue to speak to God about. But they were open to him speaking all the time about anything. See the difference? Sometimes we think, I've got a crisis. I need to speak to God. Please give me the answer. 
But this community did it regularly. They, it was part of life. They were ready for him to speak. If we don't listen, we don't get ourselves in that position, if we're not spending time on a daily basis with God, how will he speak to us? How is he going to speak if we spend our whole day not in there, not open? And I'm not saying you need to be studying the Bible all day. I'm just saying an awareness of God. What are you doing here? How are you working here? What do you want to do here? What do you want to do with me today? How are you, do you know what I mean? That kind of ongoing communication. So what about us? Who might you be listening to? Are you giving him a chance to speak? Are we as a church community giving God a chance to speak? When we have a prayer meeting, now I'm not, I don't want to guilt anyone, but you know, often it feels like I don't want to go. I just say, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And I go and I think, that was amazing. That was so good. I enjoyed it so much. It's a bit like exercise, isn't it? Don't want to do it, but afterwards sometimes, well, actually, I never feel like that. But some people, they do feel like that. Okay, I could name names, but I'm not going Third point, they were a generous church. Okay, so have a think. When was the last time you gave something away you really wanted to keep? Or meant you would be inconvenienced. Mm-hmm. Maybe not lately. It's easy, isn't it? When we set up our tithes, particularly if we're direct debit people like I am, it just goes out. It's like a tax. I don't even see it, you know? That's not part of our income. That just goes there. But the offering side, the love offerings, the free will gift offerings, the giving to the building fund out of what was actually in my budget this week, or, um, or, or, or something like the lamb comes up on Saturday, and I, I hear about well, the great work they're doing. Yeah, but if I give to that, then you know, I won't have quite as much to live on this week. They were really generous, this church. When the prophets came um, and they spoke about the famine in Jerusalem, these guys were really quick to give. And they gave financially. Remember, this prophecy was not about there will be a famine in Jerusalem, but there will be a famine in the Roman world. And this church, where is it? It's in the Roman world. This famine is coming to them also. Them also. Um, And at this point, they don't say, "Um, actually, things are going to get a bit tight for us, so we might just rein in some of our giving now. I might just take this back. And I'm sorry, we'd love to help, but there's a famine coming. No. They love the church at large. They love giving. I think this may be, I was thinking about this, I was thinking maybe it's because Barnabas in there because he was the guy that loved giving, didn't he? He was the one that brought, sold something and brought it to the apostles' feet. He loved giving. I kind of get the idea that Barnabas was a great giver. They love the church and not just theirs, not just the whole of Antioch, but the church widely. They love to give. 
And secondly, they give out of resources who they have. They're willing to give away Barnabas and Saul. Can you imagine this church? Who's come to help them? Barnabas. Oh, he's doing a great ministry. People are growing in the Lord. He's great at discipleship. Then he goes to get Saul. He's this amazing Bible teacher. And he argues with the Jews. And he's eloquent. And they are ready to freely give them away, to freely say, God, it's your work, not ours. It's your work. When they're prompted by God, they don't hesitate. Those foundations, maybe that Barnabas has built, of clinging to Jesus. Remember what he first said when he said, I want you to cleave to Jesus. They know it. Their security is not based on money. It's not based on resources. It's not based on key people. It's based on clinging to Jesus. So what about us? Let's think quickly. Our finances. Are we reluctant to give because of what might happen or what we think is coming up? I'm not not saying it's wrong to plan and to work out a budget. I think we really need to do that. But are are we reluctant? Is is it like, well, if if I give that, I won't be able to go out for dinner on Saturday night. Is that where we're at? Or if I give that, I I can't get a Costa five times this week. Mm. And our resources, do we see them as ours or ours for God to use? Are we like, but I really like this new TV I've got. What if it gets broken? I, I only say that because I was having a little dilemma myself about open day and bringing my TV and it's brand new. And I was thinking, what if some child kills it? <laughs> okay, but it's not mine, is it? It's not my TV. It's God's TV. His TV. If a child breaks it, well, that's tough. I'll have to get a new one. Not the end of the world, is it? And key people... Do I think that my ministry, or we start saying our ministry, my ministry, will fall apart if that person leaves? It's not ours or mine. It's God's ministry. He can do what he wants. He can do what he wants. And he's able to use anyone. It's not about clever words. It's not about persuasive arguments. It's about the Holy Spirit. So let's just finish. Three things. If we're a healthy church... We will desire to hear from Jesus and depend on him. It's one of our core values, isn't it? Dependence on God in prayer. We will love each other despite diversity, differences. We'll be united around Jesus. Our congregation will look diverse. It should. It shouldn't be a monoculture. And we'll be generous to share Jesus and everything that he has given us, including our resources, our finances, and our people. I leave it there. And we'll I'll hand back to John.